Are you leaving free money on the table? No, not not literally, but but are you? Today's episode, we're going to be talking all about what is a stock, what is a bond, and all the general financial knowledge that you need to start investing. Welcome to the Financial Residency Podcast, where we are devoted exclusively to the financial well-being of physicians and helping you achieve the financial freedom you deserve. This is your financial residency without the long hours and sleepless nights. Let's welcome your host and primary care physician for your finances, Ryan Inman. Hello and welcome to the launch week of the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there and I'm really honored and appreciate you guys being here. Also, before today's show, I want to make sure to announce this important disclaimer. I am a fee-only financial planner and a fiduciary for my clients, but let's be honest, I don't know you or anything about you. This show is for educational purposes only and shouldn't be taken as legal or financial advice. Please consult your attorney, CPA, or your fee-only financial planner before you take any action or make any important financial decisions. Today, we're going to be talking with Bobby Lee over at 2minutefinance.com, and he's also got a podcast, Young and Oldish Money. Bobby's a great guy, and we had a great conversation that I'm really excited to bring to you guys. 2 Minute Finance is a video blog that he founded in 2008, and it teaches personal financial skills in a short two-minute video, just like it sounds. As you're going to be able to tell, we're recording this live at the FinCon booth on the floor of the Podcast Movement Conference. The Podcast Movement Conference is a conference all about podcasting and connecting podcasters from all around the world. And I had the opportunity to meet a lot of great people there and had an incredible time. But while every episode isn't recorded live, these three launch week episodes were recorded live, uh, which is why you're going to hear a lot of background noise. I hope it's not too distracting because this interview will give you a great foundation about the basics of investing, understanding what a stock, a bond, a mutual fund, and an ETF are. I know you guys hear all about those when you're reading and trying to study up on how to actually invest and what to do with your money. And one of the things we do is we do dive into talking a little bit more about 403Bs and 401Ks, the history behind them, why they're important, why they're not a scam, and you know, as physicians, I know that you guys don't have any formal training in finance. So I'm really hoping that this episode will help provide a real nice foundation of knowledge that'll aid you in your investing journey. But before we jump into the interview, here is this week's digestible tip. Don't sweat the minor movements in the market. Understand that the long-term trend of the market is positive. The further you go out over time, the less this volatility, the day-to-day or month-to-month volatility actually matters. What matters is having a plan and letting that long-term positive trend of the markets work in your favor, not against you. Hello and welcome to the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and I'm excited to bring you an episode on the floor of Podcast Movement, sitting here at the FinCon booth with a good friend, Bobby. Bobby, if you could, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, I'm Bobby Lee. I run a video blog called Two Minute Finance. And you can see my most recent videos actually on another website called moneycrashers.com. I teach basic personal finance skills and consumer savvy in videos. Two minute, five minute, 10 minute videos, depending on which site you're going to take a look at. And I also have a podcast called Young and Oldish Money. 
we discuss the same thing, but in podcast form. So it's all very interesting. If you want advice on navigating the complicated financial world and how to be a good consumer, you can go to any one of these sites and, and listen to great advice for myself or, in the case of the podcast, uh, my co-host as well. That's awesome, man. Thank you for, uh, for introducing yourself. And I appreciate you being on the show here, taking time out during uh, podcast movement. You know, I just want to talk a, a pretty high level here and give our listeners a, a good financial foundation and just speaking on investments. And, you know, in the intro, I, I've done some disclosures, so I don't have to worry about that too much. But just kind of from a high level, let's just talk what stocks and bonds are and kind of evolve the conversation down into that. So you don't mind uh, jumping into it and just kind of discussing. For beginning investors, it can be really tough to really grasp investing, right? You know, there's always questions about what is a stock? What is a mutual fund? And there's very complicated investment vehicles out there. But to keep it very simple here, a stock is basically a public company. It's a share in a public company. You buy stocks. What you're actually doing is you're buying shares in a publicly traded company. Think about anything that brands that you buy today. Pepsi, Kraft Foods, they all put their company on the stock market and they divvy it up into shares. And as individual investors, you can go in and buy shares of that company. And those shares fluctuate in price, which we can talk about in just a little bit. But it also entitles you to the right to vote on shareholder issues, on how some of the issues that the uh, company faces that shareholders like you and thousands of other people can vote on. Because you are, in essence, part owner of the company. Now, the price of your investment goes up and down. It's traded on a stock exchange. Mm -hmm. So these shares are worth more or worth less based on how the company performs, how others value the company. When they make a trade, that's the last price when you sell a share to somebody else and they buy it, that's the last price the stock is at. There's sentiment that's evolved in here as well. So at its core, what you're doing is you're buying an investment in a company and you're becoming a very, very small owner of that company. Yeah, very, very small. And you're buying not only the profit for this year, but you're buying the ability for the company to have profits into the future, which are commonly referred to as a PE ratio or price to earnings ratio. And when a company, let's say, has a PE of 20, you're looking at 20 times their forward earnings, mm-hmm. as an yeah. example. It's important to kind of remember what a shareholder is, right? A shareholder is you have a stake. You're a stakeholder. You, you have a stake in that company. And that, mm-hmm. that, is, that is what buying a share is. So again, at its core, you are a part owner and are entitled to all the rights that come along with that. Now, there are many other derivatives of that. Of course, that's a much much more advanced topic. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so in, in perspective, so this is the equity of a firm. What is a bond in relation to this? So let's just say a corporate bond of Pepsi or Verizon or one of these. Sure. A bond is you're, what you're doing. You're basically buying their debt. You're making a loan to the company. If tomorrow, let's say Walmart has puts out a corporate bond, right? They, mm-hmm. they need some money. And for whatever reason, they've decided to issue a bond. Investors will come out and they'll buy the bond. They'll basically buying that certificate, giving the company the money to use. And in exchange, they will get that principal back plus something additional. There are much more complicated terms, so we're keeping it simple here. So you're, you're basically just buying into their debt and you're giving them a loan. And at some point, you're entitled to that money back plus something else. Yes. And, and it's not just companies that have debt. The federal government has debt. Those are referred to as treasury or T-bills. 
and you can go forward from there. There's a lot of different complicated products out there, but at its core, it's you're buying a company's debt and gonna get interest on that debt over time. The bonds can fluctuate at value and there's such thing as par value and all these things that we don't necessarily have to just dump into, but at its core. So another question I commonly get asked are, what is an ETF? And what is a mutual fund and how do they really differ? Sure. So a mutual fund is kind of the next step from stocks. Companies like Vanguard and Fidelity, Mm -hmm. they create mutual funds. And what it is, is a collection of stocks they purchase. So let's say that you went to Fidelity and you bought into a biotech mutual fund. Then that means there's a fund with a fund manager and all they do is they take investors' money and they buy stocks in that field of biotech. And what you're doing is you're going in there and you're buying shares of the fund. So you don't directly own the stock, you own a share of the fund that then invests in many, many companies and many, many shares of stock. And so the advantage of a mutual fund is that it gives you the ability to diversify. So you may only have $100, and if you were to go out and buy shares in 10 different mutual funds, you really don't have enough money to make an impact to influence the outcome of your investment all that much. But collectively, you can use that leverage of your money plus tens of thousands of other investors that are out there who have all put their money in a fidelity into a biotech fund, and they can go out and buy all these different companies and really share in both the profit and the loss of that basket of stocks as a whole. The mutual fund itself is run by another individual or a team of analysts and and traders and portfolio managers. And I just want to go a little bit one level deeper into a mutual fund real quick is when those people need to get paid, Mm -hmm. right? And so a mutual fund, not only are you buying into a mutual fund and that you've you've got to have a transaction cost to to initiate that, let's say at Fidelity, Mm -hmm. say it's $20 for the trade, that doesn't go to pay those people's salaries. Mm-hmm. That goes as, as the platform to turn around and, and buy the fund, the accounting, and mm-hmm. keeping track of it. The fund itself has an expense ratio. Mm-hmm. And if you could just touch a little bit on an expense sure. ratio and, and how that relates to a mutual fund, because I feel like that term gets tossed around a lot. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of good information on it, but when I mm-hmm. talk with prospects and clients over at Physician Wealth, mm-hmm. this is always something that comes up and, and I think it's important. One of the biggest scrooges when it comes to mutual fund is that expense ratio. And there's also, uh, it could also be called management fees, or there, there's other ways to describe it. And there's also loads. So when you buy into a mutual fund, there's all these different gotchas because they have to have the money to run the fund, but it's also a way to make a little bit extra profit. So there is a, sometimes a commission to make mm-hmm. the trade. There are folks that don't charge, you know, that, that's, a, that's a different story. There are also something called loads. So there's a front end load and a back end load. That means when you buy into a mutual fund, there's a front end load. When you buy, uh, when you sell, there's a back end load. And that just means that they take a fee. And there's also expense ratios, which is an ongoing expense. When you look at a mutual fund and they say they have an expense ratio of 0.85%, that is what you're paying out of your investments, out of your, hopefully your returns to continue to be an investor in that fund, to keep their management paid, to keep the, the, the fund going. But if you can imagine for a second, let's say you know your mutual fund only returns 5% in the year, and then you're paying 0.85% in an, an ongoing expense ratio, and you had a front end load 
to buy into it. And let's say you just happen to buy, this is an even more complicated layer, you buy a different class of mutual fund. So different mm-hmm. classes means it's a different pricing point, right? Yeah, maybe there's a uh, class A could have no load up front with a higher expense ratio. And a, uh, a class B could have a load somewhere in the back end and a lower expense. You know, there's, there's all these different combinations. So now you have these different levels and levers that the mutual fund company can, can pull to charge you. And it can get very complicated very quickly. So this is where it's important to look at what they call a prospectus. It's a legal disclosure that talks about what the fund invests in, what their objective is. Oftentimes, you'll get to hear from the fund manager themselves about what they what their goals are. And most importantly, there is a term sheet in there that shows you all the fees, depending on the class that you bought into. And it's all very, very important to take a look at. Oftentimes, they are summarized online, but there's nothing better than just flipping open the book and taking a look at what, what exactly you're going to be charged. Yeah, and, and, and not everyone is, uh, is money nerds like you and I. And, and they, they see these you know, 40, 50, 60-page books, yeah. and it usually just goes into the trash. Right. They're so important because oftentimes they also accompany something called a shareholder proxy. Mm-hmm. So again, we go back to the voting thing. Sometimes you have to vote on something. They want to know how you feel on it, and they want to know how the majority of shareholders feel. So oftentimes there's some sort of action that you need to take along with the prospectus that you receive on an annual basis. So these are things that you should pay attention to, not throw away. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, I definitely agree. And, and I think the part that you're talking about with the load and no load is critical. And if you work with an advisor that, that recommends loaded funds, you need to to question it. You really do need to question it. Right. Um, to kind of switch in back into the ETF space. So how does an ETF differ? Like uh, I, I received a question from, from an actual client that so this is a real question from a physician that he said, I looked on Vanguard based on what we had talked about. And Vanguard has a mutual fund and an ETF for this same thing. Why would we buy a mutual fund over an ETF? Or why would I buy an ETF over a mutual fund? So an exchange traded fund most literally is a fund that can be traded on an exchange, on the stock exchange, Mm -hmm. right? And oftentimes these funds, you'll hear termed index funds, for example, uh, those track an indice, uh, which could be like the S&P 500, could be the Dow Jones Industrial Average. But in the most literal sense, an exchange traded fund is a fund that is traded on an exchange. At the most basic level, you don't necessarily have to have a broker, uh, you know, like a retirement advisor or an investment Mm -hmm. advisor to buy into a mutual fund. You could bypass it and just send a check directly to Vanguard or directly to Fidelity. So it's different access points and different investment vehicles. Absolutely. And and none of this is rocket science. Like, and coming from a fee-only planner that works with physicians, my listeners, along with my clients, are extremely smart people. They're they're physicians. They can get this stuff. It's more if they want to get it, if they want to take the time to learn on it and take actual advice on it. Speaking to that, you can go into Fidelity or Vanguard or, or any one of these brokerage houses. TD Ameritrade is where, where I custody at on the institutional platform. And you can go in and buy no-load funds. You can go in and buy ETFs. A lot of these are commission-free. I know that in my financial planning business, I put clients into a lot of Vanguard funds that are ETFs because they're free. So that whole $100 they're going to put in to get work is all of it's going to go to work. There's no $10 trade fee here or you know, $19 ETF or a mutual fund trade. I do want to come back to the concept of an ETF. 
how would one go purchase that? Is that like a stock or is that like a mutual fund when they go to purchase it? You could trade them if you had the symbol. Mm-hmm. You could go onto the exchange through a broker and buy into it that way because they have they have a symbol attached to them. So they have a symbol just like a stock would. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so again, going back most literally, they can trade them on an exchange. It's just like any other stock that you would buy. Mm-hmm. You can go on, type in whatever the symbol is, and say, I want to buy one, two, 100 shares, whatever it might be, and easily make the transaction yourself. And so I'd like to, to kind of switch over to retirement plans and just kind of speak on those. I literally had someone reach out to me who said they did not invest in their 403B because they thought it was a scam. Mm-hmm. And I know that the financial industry it's an unfortunate thing that we've got to have rules to tell us to be fiduciaries and to put our clients first. Thankfully, fee-only planning exists that we do put our clients first. But the education around this really needs to, to be out there. Right. Can you just talk a little bit on retirement plans and, and a little bit about them? Sure. So retirement plans, it helps to give some context to how we got to the retirement plans that we have today. As you probably know, many of your parents, their parents, generations past, when they worked for a company, they got a pension. Mm-hmm. Those are called kind of these defined benefit plans, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so you work for a company for 30 years, the company says, I'm going to take care of you when you retire for the rest of your life. But it's unsustainable, right? There, there's no way. If you just imagine over decades, someone like Alcoa Aluminum or someone like 3M, if they offered pensions over 50 years, there's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands Amazing. of employees, and every single one of them has to be paid an amount of money for their retirement. And that's tough. You know, these companies have pension liabilities in the trillions. So to kind of get away from that sort of liability, which, which can really tank a company, we've moved over in these plans called 401ks, the IRAs. And these are the answer to that. It's, it's self-directed investing or it's employee-sponsored investing. It puts the onus back onto you to be a part of your retirement. Yeah, and, and originally these were meant to complement something. So as these divine benefit plans came down because it was unsustainable to, to the employer, the employer was still meant to offer something. And while this was written to come in and supplement it, it basically took the onus off the employer and said, it's all on the employee now. You can offer matching if you want or not. And now basically it's, it's, it's all on the employee and it's, it's crazy that employees are now expected to all of a sudden have this personal financial knowledge to say, oh, I know exactly what a 401k is that now that you've enacted this. And I know exactly that it's in my best interest to max this out or whatever it is. So can you, you, I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just yeah. wanted to make sure that it was that people understand that it wasn't meant to be the only thing, even though that's what it's really turned out to be. Right. If you look at it from a kind of, kind of conceptual standpoint of the employer and a pension taking care of all your retirement. Now with a 401k, they are a partner in your retirement, right? So they're going to give you a match for every dollar you put in. They'll put in a dollar up to a certain percent. And that's that's free money. And that's something that you know, financial advisors always talk about. Is don't leave free money on the table. So your company is trying to be a partner in your retirement and take that free money. When you, we have a 401k, what the company is saying is like, well, we have this plan. We want you to invest in it. We're going to match a certain amount of money in that. 
And then here's a menu of choices of what you can invest in. Not everybody is skilled in investing. Not everybody is skilled in, in figuring out how to plan for their retirement. But the employers, to their credit, have tried to offer a menu to choose from of investment options. Now, on the flip side, you can look at it and say, like, well, it's a very limiting menu of options. And that's also a problem. So this isn't the solution. The 401k isn't the solution, but it is part of and one of the tools in your retirement toolbox to help get you to retirement and have a comfortable retirement phase or, or you know, a time in retirement. Yeah, a- absolutely. And I want to just touch back up on the matching real quick. So let's just say a company matches 3%. Mm-hmm. One, you want to just quickly tell them like what that actually means? Sure. If a company offers, uh, if they say, if you put in for every dollar, we'll match 50%. That means they're going to put 50 cents for every dollar you put in. And they may have a cap on that because they want to be a part of your retirement. Instead of having a defined pension, a defined benefit pension plan where they pay for all your retirement, they're going to say, well, I want to give you a little bit of money towards to encourage you to save for retirement. And so what happens is that number resets every year. That amount resets every year. So if they say, I'm going to match 50% of everything you put in up to $5,000, let's say. That means they're going to put up to $2,500 that year towards retirement if you put $5,000. That means if you maxed it out, you'd have $7,500 that year towards your retirement. Yeah. Now, and if you don't do anything towards your retirement, that's $2,500 that you're leaving on the table, that your company is just going to reabsorb, and you know that's money to them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and essentially what that is, is let's just kind of go with that example, is if they, they match you know, 50 cents on the dollar, I mean, you're leaving a really good return on your investment, and, and there's nothing guaranteed in life mm-hmm. other than if they tell you they're going to match, you put a dollar in, they're giving you 50 cents, that's one heck of a return. Right. This is not to be confused with other sorts of vehicles that uh, employers may offer. I mean, if you're a high earner, they could have deferred compensation. If you if you are in a publicly traded company, they could offer employee stock purchase plans. These are one of many vehicles, but the 401k or the equivalent, if you're a federal government employee or a nonprofit employee, is important to get on board with. That That is one of the primary vehicles for your retirement, but it should not be the only one. Absolutely. It's meant to complement. And that's uh, been a common misconception that I've, uh, I've worked with with clients is when they say, well, I've, I've funded my whole 403B, which is the equivalent of a 401k, just depends where you work. That's a great thing, except for there's a lot more that you need to do. And so I, I did want to touch on real quick, the investment options aren't always the best options available inside of a 401k. And sometimes you kind of just got to roll with the punches and say, hey, maybe these fees are 0.85 like we were talking and that was that's a little bit high. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're up to 1%. Sometimes your companies are amazing and they're holding mm-hmm. Vanguard funds that, you know, with their big institutionals, share classes, and, you know, it's a 0.03%. It's kind of the luck of the draw mm-hmm. on that. But when we look at as a 401k or a 403b is just a to complement the retirement plan, there's something else, and that's IRAs. There's a traditional and a Roth IRA. And I was wondering if you could tell people a little bit about those and maybe the distinctions between the two. So oftentimes when people come into understanding IRAs, it's because they've left the company. And, you know, in this in this day and age, folks don't, don't stick around in companies for a long time. They leave after a couple of years. So what happens is they end up with multiple sort of 401ks at these different companies. Uh, and what happens? You want to consolidate them. You want to roll them over. That's what's called a rollover. And you can put them into an IRA. So then now you have control 
of your retirement money. Again, you know, when you leave your company, don't cash out your 401k. That's the worst way you could do it. What you want to do is you want to roll over into an IRA. You want to consolidate all of them so you don't have these different accounts floating everywhere. IRA stands for Individual Retirement Account. That is kind of at, at the basic high level what, what an IRA is. And of course, there, there are different versions of it. There's versions of your self-employed. You know, there, there's so many variations of flavors, but it's... but. Uh, you know, that, that, is, that is one of the investment vehicles that you want to look at, especially if you've left the company. Absolutely. And one of those things that is, is that even if you haven't left the company to roll over, you can go to a Fidelity, a Vanguard, a TD Ameritrade, and go open up a Roth, or, uh, depending on your income level, uh, and there's contribution limits. But with an IRA, you'll have more investment choices mm-hmm. because it's not tied to your employer. It doesn't have to be open at an employer. So that's an important distinction, again, to reemphasize. You know, one of the most popular things I've seen with 401ks and companies is to simplify the menu of choices. Now they're offering something called target mutual funds. And that means you may see target 2020, target 2030, target 2040. And in an effort to simplify the investment choices, Fidelity and Vanguard and these folks have offered these target funds to say, if you aim to retire in 2030, invest in a 2030 fund. We'll rebalance everything. We'll buy things that will, that will make sense as you get older towards retirement. The problem is it's a very programmatic approach and each of us individually are not one size fit all, right? Mm-hmm. And so... It is easy to think about as something to go into, but we're all individuals. We all have our own different needs and desires. And what happens is when you take your money out of a 401k, not withdraw it, but roll it over into an IRA, you're opening up the entire investment world to you. You can invest in any stock, in any mutual fund, instead of being limited by your company and what they choose. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I really, really appreciate you coming on and uh, taking some time out of the uh, awesome conference here at Podcast Movement, sitting with me at the FinCon booth. And thank you so much again. And, and just real quick, Capture, where, where can people hear more about you and your awesome podcast? Yeah, so you can listen to the podcast at youngandoldishmoney.com. And then you can see my videos on two places, on moneycrashers.com and two, the number two, minutefinance.com. Awesome. Thank you, Bobby, again. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. There was the interview with Bobby Lee. I hope you guys really enjoyed that episode. I know that we talked a lot about and gave a lot of definitions on some of the things that you're going to hear as you start reading more and more about personal finance and how to invest and what your retirement accounts are and all those great things. So what I've done actually is put together a little cheat sheet you can download over at financialresidency.com slash 003. That's financialresidency.com slash 003. And that'll be a nice little cheat sheet to help you out with some of the definitions you heard along with you know, contribution limits and some of the other things that we had talked about. Hey, and while you're over there at financialresidency.com, checking out the show notes and the seven-day free email course that we have, click on the little green button that says record your question. And the reason I want you guys to do that is because in a few weeks, uh, we've already recorded one, but I'd really like to record some more. Uh, We're going to have a mailbag type episode where it's going to feature real questions from real physicians. If so, if you've got a question that's, that's bothering you or keeping you up at night, just click the record button and tell us your first name and where you're calling from and then ask away. And your question could be featured on one of our upcoming podcast episodes. So I know there's a lot of great content coming at you guys in the next few weeks. I really look forward to sharing it with you. So talk to you guys soon. 
Thank you for listening to the Financial Residency Podcast. This episode has ended, but your financial residency continues online. Head over to financialresidency.com, where you'll find links to any resources mentioned in today's episode, along with other valuable tips and information that will help you regain your financial freedom. That's financialresidency.com.